especially now, after a challenging summer. Uh, I'm glad that uh, he shared his return to Sheriff Adash, and Sheriff Adash is now in a new location in our permanent home. And I would just like to give thanks uh, to, the, to the extent that I was involved in building this building. Uh, I think Rabbi Brabender can take uh, that full credit. Uh, it's a big reason, learning with him 25 years ago, uh, why, why I remained in Israel, why I remained in the world of uh, Torah, and tried to do something with my life. Uh, thanks to his inspiration. So I will leave it at that and looking forward very much to your sharing. Thank you. I'll just add to that that just sitting here is an indication that uh, Rabbi Peer is a very special person who um, has an idea about community and about, if I'm not mistaken, about Jewish community, what that means, how that should be. Uh, and he's worked, he's worked in Israel, which is not an easy place to, to work, to um, actualize these ideas of his. And he's done it. He's done it. You have to, uh, you have to admit that the combination between the people who do it and the people who don't, it's the people who do it who end up being you know, very important to us and very significant. So I'm happy... I'm happy at the end of uh, a long period, he said 25 years, it might have been more than 25 years, that we're able to sort of kind of get together again and do some small thing together. This year, this year sponsored by Batya and Eddie Jacobs and honored the birth of their newest grandson. And I also received notification that Bhatia, after three years of study, was, uh, was offered smicha by Herzl Hefter's Beit Medrash, I think. For those of you who know all these code words, so you know them. And if you don't know the code words, then uh, make believe you do. So that's, that's how it is with a code. You can't just say it. Uh, so I thank Batya and Eddie Jacobs. Eddie is a very well-known interior architect, or whatever that's called. Um, interior, not just design, but the, the building. The, he, he does the building. Okay. Uh, we're, we're up to the Parish of Key. Go up to the parish of Kitavo. Perakebs Kabzai. And you see the psukim on the sheet? Let's just look at the psukim on the sheet to make sure that we're all on the same page. Vayitzad Moshe v'zikne Yisrael et ha'am leymor. Now you know that the, the book of, of Dvarim, the book of Dvarim is Moshe Rabbeinu's book. It's the book, I, I mean, what does that mean? So, a little hard to explain. A little hard to explain, it's a little hard to say it in a way that everybody would agree. But we say that Moshe Rabbeinu, like the Torah, like if we think about it, the Torah was dictated, at least, I step back, according to the Ramban, and according to the Rambam. The Torah was dictated by HaKadosh Baruch Hu to Moshe Rabbeinu who then wrote it down who then wrote it down 
And this Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote down was completed at the end of the 38 years, or 40 years, you could say, of, of the sojourn in the desert, of the Jews being in the, in the desert. It was finished. It was finished. And however, the Ramban, at the beginning of Dvarim, and the Ramban in his introduction to the, his commentary on the Torah, the Ramban asks the question, how does the book of Dvarim fit in? What's the question? I mean, what do you mean, how does it fit in? It's the fifth book of the Torah. I mean, well, 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 but the question is, the question is, who, who was the one or whose voice created the impetus for the book of Dvarim? Because the book of Tevarim begins with Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu uh, uh, speaking harshly to Bnei Yisrael about their past. And, uh, and simply he did that, he, Moshe Rabbeinu, did that in order to make sure that the Jews who are now entering Eretz Canaan would at least try to adopt a higher standard than they had adopted in the in the desert. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu, that's what Moshe Rabbeinu uh, 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 wanted, right? Okay, there, there are other opinions, but that's what that's what Moshe Rabbeinu wants. So that the fifth book of the Torah, unlike the other books of the Torah, were generated by Moshe was generated by Moshe Rabbeinu, who wanted Bnei Israel to understand that they'd have to change their ways. They'd have to be different, right? But, but the content of the Torah in the parashiyot of Dvarim is Torah. It's what God wants us to know through the medium of Moshe Rabbeinu. So ultimately, it doesn't make any difference if Moshe Rabbeinu thought about doing it and then did it. What makes it into Torah is the fact that it was dictated by God to Moshe Rabbeinu and said, write, write it down. The best example, of course, is Bilam. Bilam, you remember Bilam in Bamidbar? So Bilam went around and he said whatever, he was going to say whatever he said. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu changed that. Changed it from bad to good. And that gets into the Torah because it no longer belongs to Bilam, but it belongs to the Torah, because that's what God, that's what God decided, that this, that this material should belong to the Torah. And even though Bilam may have said it, and even though he had the wrong idea when he said it, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe Rabbeinu to write it down, so it becomes, it becomes part of the Torah. That's, that's the way it is. Here, in the book of Devarim, all of a sudden, in the book of Devarim, you have Moshe Rabbeinu generating material. And this goes on through the various, through the various uh, chapters of parashiyot in the, in the Torah. Of course, in the Torah, in these parashiyot, uh, starting from Bamidbar, and up to the end of Kitetzei, last week's parasha, you have a lot of Torah material also interspersed 
with the Moshe Rabbeinu statements. And it may be, it may be that that's, that's what HaKadosh Baruch wanted us to know, that it's the real thing. How could, the, how could we know that when Moshe Rabbeinu says to B'nai Yisrael, don't do this, or you did that, or you, 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 you caused different kinds of problems, how are we supposed to know that that's regular Torah, that that's Torah like, like Shemot and Vayikra and Bamidbar, because interspersed in all of the Moshe Rabbeinu talk are mitzvot. And mitzvot can only come from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So that the way the Torah was written, the book of Dvarim was written, was that it's sort of the book of Moshe Rabbeinu, but, but it's a book which also teaches us Torah, regular Torah, Torah mitzvot. In fact, as you know, there are more mitzvot in the parasha of Kitei last week's parasha, than any other parasha in the Torah. I mean, like, that extreme. It takes it really to extreme. But now, now, we come to the parasha of Kitavo. We come to the parasha of Kitavo, and as you know, the parasha of Kitavo is a parasha of Klala, of interdictions, right? Uh, and that, that Klala is called, that Klala is called in the Torah a Brit. And a Brit is a covenant, it's an agreement. And that agreement, that agreement between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and B'nai Yisrael is a kind of duplication of the agreement that was made between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and B'nai Yisrael at the end of the book of Vayikra in the parasha called Bechukotai. Okay, I'll do it, I do it again? Right? Kitavo, the end of Kitavo, the parasha of Kitavo, there's a bracha and a klala, a blessing and an interdiction. Kitavo, which parallels the blessing and the interdiction that took place at the end of the book of Vayikra. At the end of the book of Vayikra, the parasha of that's what that's what I'm saying. So you say, what is that? What is that? Well, that's the agreement that was made by B'nai Yisrael with HaKadosh Baruch on the eve of their entry into Eretz Kedan. At the end of the book of Ayikra, they were supposed to go into Eretz Kedan, having agreed on this agreement. But what happened was, Bamid Barnoso, Baloscha, Shlach. Shlach was the end of the agreement. Shlach said, the people of Israel said, we don't want to go. We don't want to go to Eretz Kenan. So we don't want to go to Eretz Kenan. That was the end of the agreement of the Chukotai. And so now we needed a new agreement. I, the fact that it's the end of the agreement of Chukotai doesn't mean that I can't learn anything from it. That it shouldn't be in the Torah, but that's a different matter. I can learn from it. I have things that, I, that, that are, are important for me. But, but now, the parasha of Kitavo, parasha of Kitavo has a new agreement. 
between B'nai Yisrael HaKadosh Baruch on the eve of entering into Eretz Canaan and on the eve of entering into Eretz Canaan they are going to they're going to accept this agreement right that's the para, the end of the parasha of Ki of Ki Tavo so that this is somehow in some way the end of what we usually call the Torah because now they are ready to go to Eretz Canaan the other parashiyot, the other parashiyot in the Torah, Nitzavim Vayelech Hazinu Zota Bracha, right there, four parashiyot left, four parashiyot left, after Kitavo, after today's parashiyot, and at parasha, after today's, to this Shabbat, the parasha for this Shabbat, Nitzavim Vayelech Hazinu Zota Bracha. These parashiyot are really Moshe Rabbeinu talking. Really Moshe Rabbeinu. But how did it get into the Torah if it's really Moshe Rabbeinu? HaKadosh Baruch put it into the Torah. But that's how it works. That's, no one says that the Torah can't have the musings of Moshe Rabbeinu in some way, manner, or form. Nobody says, says that. But to, to be Torah... It has to originate in and come from HaKadosh Baruch. So in this parasha of this week of Kitavo, the beginning, near the beginning of the parasha, there is a very interesting one time in the universe commandment. Right? A commandment that was, that was done one time. There were other commandments that were done only one time. The Ramban points them out in the beginning, in his introduction to the book of, of Bamidbar. Introduction to the book of Bamidbar, the Ramban points out to the, points to the fact that there are mitzvot, which were one-off. One one-off, so they say in England. One-off mitzvot, that they were done once, and they were never done, never done again. But they are mitzvot nonetheless, because they are the result of the divine, divine command. So here we have another mitzvah that's a one-off mitzvah, which presents us with several problems. Okay, the psukim say this: Vayetzav Moshe v'ziknei Yisrael et The role uh, Chazal were concerned about. And we're not always clear about what the position, what the purpose of Moshe Rabbeinu was, and what the purpose of Ziknei Yisrael. So if you have a pasuk that says Moshe Ziknei Yisrael, is that different than a pasuk that says Moshe? Moshe told them. Moshe Ziknei Yisrael told them. Moshe Ba'aron told them. Moshe Ba'aron Obonov told them. You have to know that Chazal were very concerned about all of these introductions and and try to make distinctions between the different kinds of introductions but we won't do that here shamor et kol ha mitzvah shamor shamor as rashi says rashi Ah, yeah, Shamo, I'm sorry. 
Shamor et kol mitzvah. You see the Rashi, it's on the page. I was just looking at the wrong place. Lishon havahat. It's like, well, what would we call that? Who teaches English? A participle? <laughs> like like, a, like a, a verb, a verb that tells me the state, the situation. That's havahat. That doesn't matter, that word. Besides the fact that I don't know what it is. But, so, so Rashi says, it's like the word shamor. It's like the word shamor. The word shamor at Yom HaShabbat. Shamor, Zachor. It's an ongoing, it's an ongoing directive. It's not a moment. So it says in the Pasuk Shamor, et kola mitzvah sheyonoch mitzvah etchem ayom. These, kola mitzvah sheyonoch mitzvah etchem ayom, it sounds like it's forever. It's always obligatory. You always have to do these, these mitzvot. Yes? Vayah. Bayom Asher Ta'avru Eta Yardain Ela Aretz Asher Shevelakardain Nacha Vakemot. You you know about the Yardain? You know the map, right? We live in Israel. People think if you live in Israel, you might know something about the map of Israel. <laughs> this is not always the case. Right? You know, like you go into the taxi and you say, just take me there. You don't say, where's the Jordan River? And where, but you know the Jordan River is today the eastern border of the state of Israel. And it was also the eastern border of Eretz Canaan, of what's called Eretz Canaan in the... Uh, now when you cross, if you cross the Jordan River in the area of Yericho, Yericho, you go on Kvish, whatever it's called, and you just keep going, you get to Yericho. And if you keep going beyond Yericho, you get to the Jordan River. Now, the Jews at the time were in a place which the Torah calls Arvot Moav. Arvot Moav. Moav, the name of the people and the place that they inhabited, Arvot Moab, the, the, the plains of Moab. That's where the Jews were when Moshe Rabbeinu was giving these speeches. But this was all, all taking, taking place. When they crossed the Jordan River, they crossed the Jordan River, they more or less were where Yericho is today. Nor are they that pile of dirt that's called Tel Yericho. Did you ever, you never went? Tell Yericho, the ruin of the city of Yericho several thousand years ago. Right? That's Yericho. You cross over the Jordan, you get to Yericho. Mm -hmm. Now, if you wanted to go from Yericho to Yerushalayim, you'd have to go uphill such and such a number of kilometers, a long haul. If you wanted to go from Yerushalayim to Shechem, Shechem, Nablus, right, you'd have to go further north. Further north. So let's do it again. 
we'll add one more point. There's Avot Moav. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. There's Avot Moav. You cross into Eretz Canaan and you're in Yericho. Nearby, near Yericho, there's a place called, believe it or not, Gilgal. Gilgal. It's a place that I think of fondly. I once did Miluim there. It was really awful. Gilgal. From Gilgal, you have to go up the mountain to Yerushalayim, if that's where you want to go. From Yerushalayim, you have to go north to Shechem. To Shechem. And these were, in history, the important cities of Eretz, well, well the land that we conquered. You know that the, the Samaritans, Samaritans, uh, were the ones who said that Shechem is the holy city of the Jewish people. And one of the proofs that they had for that is that Yerushalayim is never mentioned in the Torah. Yerushalayim is never mentioned. It's mentioned in Tanakh, but it's never mentioned, never mentioned in the in the Torah. And they felt that that was a reasonable proof that Shechem, which of course is mentioned in the Torah and is the source of conflict between the Jewish uh, hordes who came into Eretz Gedan and the residents of Eretz Gedan in one way or the other, that. Uh, that this would indicate that they are, uh, that that's where the center of things, of things should be. There were other reasons uh, that they were forced to leave Yerushalayim and go to, to Shechem. But look at the Pasuk again. Vakemota lecha avanim gedolot besadete otam besid. Sadete otam besid means you cover them with white, some kind of whitewash, mm-hmm. right? Because you could, I guess, we'll see. But what, what does this mean? Immediately, you cross over the Jordan River, and what do you do? Right? You have to set up these big stones. It, it, it doesn't say yet what for. And then you have to write. You have to write on this, uh, on these stones. You have to write it, that's what the Pasuk seems to say. Now, what does that mean? That mean literally every word of the Torah. Does it mean less than every word of the Torah? At kol devar Torah azot ba'avrecha leman asher tavol la'aretz asher Hashem elkech l'tein lecha eretz zavat chalav udvash kasher diber Hashem eluk kei avotecha lach. So this is a condition. This is a condition in order for you to achieve eretz Yisrael. In order for you to get what you were promised, I mean, you were promised, admit, but there's one more thing that you have to do. 
You have to set up these stones, you have to whitewash them, and you have to write the Torah on all of these stones. What do you mean write the Torah? If you look at... Uh, look at the Ibn Ezra. Look at the Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra here represents an interesting tradition. You see by Itzav Moshe Pasuk Aleph. Yes, B'Tzivui Hashem. God commanded this to happen. This was not the Moshe Rabbeinu's idea. Uziknei Yisrael Amar Kein Lakel Lakel for the entire community. V'chein Rabim and I've already mentioned all of them, all the people who were there. Now listen, Shamorit Kola Mitzvah, keep all of the mitzvot of the Torah. This is how we reach the Pesach. Shamorit Kola Mitzvah. Kola Mitzvah doesn't mean all of the mitzvah, but this final mitzvah, the, the mitzvah that I'm telling you now. I want you to, to watch Mahi Vagimoto Rabbanim Gdolot Lachil HaTorah Ibn Ezra Lachil HaTorah They should be able to uh, uh, hold within them within it the entirety of the Torah Vayomer HaGaon Zal The Gaon in the Ibn Ezra is Rav It's always Rav Sadyagon Vayomer HaGaon Zal Kikatuv alehem mispar hamitzvot. That you don't write the whole Torah, but you write mitzvot, mispar mitzvot, a number of mitzvot. Kimo haktuvot v'halachot gedolot beinyan azharot v'yafelma. Just in the book called Halachot Gedolot, which is a a collection of mitzvot. Right? It's a kind of a book of mitzvot. There's a mitzvah, there's a mitzvah, like lists of mitzvot. And then negatives and non-mitzvot. Kikatuv mispar mitzvot. Kimoa ketuvot balachot gedolot. Binyan azharot. Azharot are negatives. The negative commandments that we are uh, uh, directed to avoid. Yafel Amar. Yafel Amar is the Ibn Ezra evaluating Rav Sadjagon. Rav Sadjagon said, well, the Torah didn't mean that you write every word of the Torah on the stones, but it meant that you write the, 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 the mitzvot. But I imagine that you would agree. I imagine you agree that if, uh, if the Ibn Ezra says it, there must be somebody who disagrees. There's probably somebody in the world, somebody who thinks that what they wrote on the stones was the entirety of the Torah, in which uh, we sort of like have created a, a, a speculative uh, question. Now, what's the difference? What if you write all of the Torah on the stones or you write the mitzvot of the Torah on the stones? Right? So obviously, obviously, if you write the mitzvot of the Torah on the stones exclusively, then you could argue, who are you writing it for? Who are you writing it for, according to Rav Sadyagon? According to the... <laughs> You're writing it for the Jewish people. I mean, it's the mitzvot only applies to them. If you write on the stones the history 
of the creation of the world and Yitziat Mitzrayim and building the Mishkan, etc., then you're saying something about the relationship of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to the world, and that saying something about the relationship of the HaKadosh Baruch Hu to the world is appropriate for everybody. Is appropriate for everybody. So, so right in this kind of little line in the Ibn Ezra, I have, I have this question. For whom was this uh, uh, stone writing episode? Was it for the people in order to encourage them to do the mitzvot? Was it for the nations of the world to encourage them to somehow know something about, about the world? Uh, you look at the last, the la well, let's go on in the Pesukim, Pesuk Gimel, no, Pesuk Dalet. Pasuk <laughs> <laughs> We, we remember Hareval as the place that Bnei Yisrael went to when they came to Eretz Kenan in order to accept this, uh, the brachot and the klalot of the parasha of Kitavo. So you remember the Jews had to go from Arvot Moab, here's Arvot Moab, at the cross to Yericho, they had to somehow run up to Shechem, which is on a triangle, right? Yerushalayim, Shechem, Gilgal, right? They had to go up there, and that's what they did. That's what they did. That's what the pasuk in Yehoshua teaches us. It says at the end of the pasuk, you should whitewash them, right? Whitewash them again. So that means that either these are the same stones that we spoke about before, and they took the whitewash was taken off and replaced. Or these are new stones, right? There are these stones, there are those stones, and this discussion takes place in the Gemara in Sota, Davlamet Hayamet Beis. If you have an opportunity, you should look at it. Pasuk Hey, Uvanita Shamizbeach Lashem Elokecha, Nizbacha Banim, Lotanifa Lehem Barzel, Uvanita Sham, Mizbeach. You should build an altar for God of stones that have not been hewn. In other words, you know, look at Jerusalem. Sometimes the stones are sort of like, they look like they just came out of the junk pile. And sometimes they look very neat. You know, square or rectangular. Right? So this is, so this is what we... This is what we are we are talking about. We're talking about lotanif alehem. Don't don't square them off. Don't square square them off. The last pasuk and on this altar that you built, you should give sacrifices and eat from them. 
right? Vesamachta, simcha is also a buzzword in the Torah for doing a mitzvah properly. It's not about, and so we'll drink, or we'll, we'll, we'll jump up and down. Samachta is the word that's used to describe the proper uh, uh, attention to a mitzvah. The way a mitzvah should be done. Vekatavta al habanim. The third time. We don't know now. We're talking about the first group of habanim, the second group of habanim, another group of habanim. Vekatavta al habanim. And called the Rea Torah Zod Be'er Heitev. And called the Rea Torah Zod Be'er Heitev. What is Be'er Heitev? What does Be'er Heitev mean, Rashi? Uh, just one second. Uh, Rashi doesn't say anything. Yeah, However, where is that? Ah, oh, there it is. B'shivim l'ashon. I just want to point out one more thing before we explain that. That if you look at the bottom, towards the bottom of the sheet, Tvarim Moshe. You see that pasuk? Oil Moshe Be'er. Be'er also has to. It's the same word. At the Torah Zot Lemor. So Rashi says, I mean, the Rashi's not here. It's my fault, I guess. Should be Rashi. If there was Rashi, oh, let me take a look. I have a Chomash. I knew this would be a disastrous day. Yeah. Perik Aleph, Perik Aleph, Pasuk Hey, Gimel Dalid, Be'er et HaTorah Zot Lemor. Rashi says, B'Shivim Lashon Per Shalahem. Shivim Lashon Per Shalahem. So what is Shivim Lashon? What are 70 languages? 70, 70 is a big number. 70 is a big number. It may not be a precise number, but it, it means everyone, all of them, all of the languages. And it happened was that there was this story about Migdal Bavel. The Jews, the people wanted to go up to heaven. Kodesh Baruch Hu didn't uh, allow that. And, and as a punishment, he confused their language. Every group, every nation had its own language, and they couldn't even understand each other, so they couldn't get together in order to do things like that. They couldn't get, they couldn't get to, uh, together. Shivim, Shivim Lashon. So forever, Forever, when you want to think about the fact that people don't understand each other, that people find their own positions unexplainable, they are incomprehensible to each other, they cannot speak a language, even if it's translated, it doesn't matter. But there's some underlying lack of understanding that's shivim that's shivim lashon that's so in order to overcome that in order to overcome that you have to present 
the material b'shivim lashon. That's what it means. When Rashi says, or when the Gemara says that there is shivim lashon, it means it's comprehensible, it's understandable. It's something that people, that people who uh, ordinarily might find, uh, might find themselves at odds with others, those people nevertheless can understand each other in the world of Shivim Lashon. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to B'nai Israel, put up these stones. On these stones write the essence of the Torah. And we saw there was the Machloket between Rav Sadyagon, then Ibn Ezra, and somebody else. Somebody else who didn't say anything. They say Rashi. Didn't explain it, but we could assume that that's what, that's what Rashi thought. So the Torah says, Moshe Rabbeinu, tell B'nai Yisrael, tell B'nai Yisrael to set up these stones and to write, to write the entire Torah in 70 languages in order that everybody in the world should understand that everybody in the world should understand exactly what is going on. And what is going on is that B'nai Yisrael are receiving the gift that HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised Avram Avinu, and then Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and Yosef, and now Am Yisrael, B'nai Yisrael are coming to claim, are coming to claim the gift. But they have to understand it's my job to help them to understand that this is uh, uh, the continuation of the history designed by God. It's not a deviation. It's not a deviation from that history, but it's an accommodation to that history. And that's what Rashi means. When Rashi says in the first Rashi and the Chumash, right? Remember, so Rashi says, Rashi says the people are going to come and they're going to say you stole it you stole Eretz Kenan right so you have to say to them look I mean what's their argument what's the argument uh, we were here I mean it's true it was the uh, the Arabs what were they what are they going to argue I say, we were here a long time. You weren't here. True, true, true. It's true. However, it's also true, as we, un- as we understand it, is that Eretz Yisrael is a gift to B'nai Yisrael. And it doesn't really change. The nature of that gift doesn't change if somebody else happens to be around even for a long period of time. So, according to, according, to, according to Rashi, according to that first Rashi, and the first Pasuk in the Torah, we are, uh, according, uh, according, according to Rashi, we receive uh, 
mean, it all, it's, it's inalienable. It can't be changed. The, the fact that it's not subject to regular rules of purchase and tradition and history, it's just not connected to all of that. But it's connected to the fact that God determines what's going to be. And it's not our system of law that makes that, that determination. So when the Jews came to Eretz Kedah, HaKadosh Baruch said to them, set up these stones. One place, two places, three places, in Gilgal, in Shechem, in near Yerushalayim, right? God said, set it up. What, what, what was all of that? It was an announcement. It was something that was spoken to the people in Canaan. It was an attempt to make them understand that what they were up against was not a, a, a horde of people who had been released 40 years earlier from slavery in Egypt and are now are looking to take over someplace. It was rather that the people, that the people who were coming or knocking on the door of the Canaanites, those people, those people were God's emissaries. And as God's emissaries, as God's emissaries, they, they couldn't be beaten. They couldn't be beaten and had nothing to do, had nothing to do with, uh, with uh, the kind of justice that people claimed was connected to, uh, to one sort of ownership or another. Okay, I was happy to be here. Happy to have you. <laughs> if I could just uh, steal one minute, I'm Jeff Sachs. Many of you uh, get emails from me on a weekly basis. If you're not on the email list, please let us know. We'll be happy to 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 add you. Um, uh, on, on behalf of uh, everyone uh, to whom Rabbi Bravender and his teaching is dear, we're all very glad that you are literally back on your feet and uh, one, one foot at least and I know that uh, I'm sure I can speak on behalf of uh, Mrs. Bravander and the family we're all appreciative to all of you for coming out in, in large numbers tonight if I were to cover his eyes right now he wouldn't be able to tell you how many people were in the room because he really doesn't pay attention to that you once told me that something along the lines of teaching Torah is of infinite value so whether you're teaching one person or a hundred people, infinity times any number is still <laughs> infinity. infinity. But uh, but Miriam and I, we take note of that. <laughs> so, so we're appreciative of it. And thanks very much to our good friend, Rabbi Ian Pear and the Shir Hadash Kihila. Uh, this is a beautiful, beautiful new facility. It's really one of the loveliest new Batek Neset in, uh, in Yerushalayim. They're doing wonderful work here and they have wonderful programming and we're so appreciative Ian has been a long time very devoted Talmud of, of Reb Ravinder and we're appreciative to come back to Shir Chadash in its present Gilgul that when the Shir began I guess about 12 years ago uh, we began in, in Shir Chadash and we've moved to different hosts over the years but now we're glad to be back but we're even glad to be back in their new in their new home so we just ask everyone besides you know please join us again every week um, and, but please spread the word. Let other people know that we have this uh, fabulous opportunity to learn Torah with Rabbi Ravinder on Wednesday nights. 
And everybody <coughs> should continue in good health. Yeah. Uh, Bezut Hashem and Shana Tova.